You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and today is day 49. Yeah, day 49 of us staying inside to try and stop corona from getting up in our lungs. And here's your quarantine tip of the day. Try to make the most of this extra time that you have at home by starting new projects or hobbies. Like me, I've been coming up with quotes and then trademarking them. If you steal that, I will sue you. Anyway, on tonight's episode, why people are keeping eels company during quarantine, we talk to Sweden's Dr. Fauci and President Trump says, mission accomplished. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. As bad as things may seem right now, it's important to remember that the world hasn't technically ended yet. I mean, it's gonna happen, but you gotta figure we have at least a few weeks left. So in the meantime, let's stay positive with a little ray of sunshine. Let's kick it off with a story that'll make everyone smile. Well, everyone, except the coronavirus. This lady has seen a lot in her life. She survived the Spanish flu early in the last century. And now, at 101, she has just beaten COVID-19. Call her Super Granny. Angelina Friedman proudly shares, I am 101 years old and I beat COVID-19. The Westchester, New York woman not only beat the coronavirus at her nursing home, but also lived through the 1918 Spanish flu. Her family says the centurion possesses superhuman DNA. Hey, you feel good? Yes. Yes? Thank you. Good. Thank you. Damn, this woman lived through the Spanish flu and beat coronavirus? Not to mention that in 2010, she also beat Bieber fever. She was one of the lucky few. And coronavirus must be really embarrassed by this. I mean, you got beaten by a 101-year-old woman. I bet corona's there with all the other diseases like, she didn't beat me, man, I let her win. But one thing is clear. If you've ever given your grandmother a world's greatest grandma mug, you better confiscate that thing immediately. Yeah, sorry, Meemaw. Turns out you ain't shit. And here's some more good news. In the last few weeks, some countries have slowly been emerging from their corona hibernation. And now, even Italy, one of the hardest hit countries, is starting to open up again. After eight weeks of silence, today, the streets of Italy are slowly coming back to life. Construction sites, factories, and parks reopening. Italians will be able to travel locally and order takeout. Joggers allowed once again to run in parks long off limits. In Rome's iconic Campo de Fiori flower market, the florists have returned. Cafes like the Antico Cafe Greco, the oldest in Rome, can once again serve coffee. In 260 years, has this cafe ever been closed? Never. Never closed, Bob. Not even during World War II? Ura! Italy is getting a back to work. That is such great news, man, because there's a lot of work to be done in Italy. I mean, Corona, whew, Corona really messed up that whole country. The towers are falling over, the streets are flooded, the stadiums are in ruins. It's a mess over there right now. I do worry about Italy though, because Italians are all about kissing and hugging, but with coronavirus still out there, they can't do all of that. How are they gonna show affection, huh? Because I mean, we, we can replace handshakes with elbows. We can just do that thing. But that won't work for the Italian kiss. Good to see you, Giovanni. <laughs> Basically what I'm saying is post-coronavirus, every country 
it's just gonna have to become Russia. We do not touch, we do not kiss. When I make love, I just stare so hard at them that they can feel it. Here's another fun story. Every day, we're hearing about how animals are thriving without us. But in Japan, it turns out that there are some animals that just miss our face. A Japanese aquarium is asking people to make video calls to their eels. Why? It's all to remind the sensitive creatures humans exist and don't pose a threat. With a largely human-free environment the last couple months, aquarium staff say when keepers try to check on the garden eels, they hide in the sand. In a bid to reacquaint the eels with humans, the aquarium is setting up five tablets and asking eel enthusiasts to connect via FaceTime. That's right. Because there haven't been any visitors at the zoo, the zoo wants people to video chat with the eels so that they remember humans and don't view them as a threat when people come back. Yeah, although if you ask me, reminding the eels about humans will have the opposite effect. Why is the ocean so small? All right, the humans put us in a water zoo. Oh, and you know what the good news is? Eels are perfectly designed for video chats. Yeah, because if anyone tries to flash their penis on these zoo calls, the eels, they're not gonna be phased. Just be like, ha, look at that. Another eel on the call. A very strange eel. So small and so pale, he must be sick. All right, that's it for Ray of Sunshine. Let's get straight into the headlines. All right, as the coronavirus would say, let's start with China. Ever since COVID-19 emerged from Wuhan, suspicions about its origins have been rampant. And today, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security leaked a report that when the outbreak started, the Chinese government hid the severity of the problem in order to hoard medical supplies before other countries could stock up. And I should have known that China was up to no good because my fortune cookie tried to warn me. Those messages, man, they were so vague. Yeah, I just watched little fires everywhere. Basically, you know what China's being accused of? is doing that thing that your shitty friend does where they call you from a party like, hey, don't bother coming to this party, no one's here. And then later on, you see a selfie where they posted themselves sitting at a table with Rihanna and the cost of Stranger Things, and you're like, what the hell? Oh, it just happened and I forgot to call you. There was nobody, then there was everybody. Oh, I wish you were there. In other news, one of the biggest winners of the coronavirus pandemic has been Amazon, the world's largest online retailer and the only store where you can get baby food and a dildo in the same order. But while Jeff Bezos' net worth has gone up billions, the people on the ground in his company are having a terrible time. With infections spreading through Amazon warehouses faster than prime delivery, employees are demanding more protective equipment and sanitizer, as well as hazard pay and paid sick leave, which seems fair. And now, one prominent Amazon vice president has quit in disgust saying that the company has created a climate of fear by firing protesting workers instead of addressing their concerns, a move that he described as, quote, chicken shit. And I'm not gonna lie, this guy definitely has balls because most of us wouldn't dare call Amazon chicken shit. I mean, they've got your home address and can leak your entire shopping history. So I would never mess with them because then everyone would know that I bought a dildo and baby food, which is so embarrassing because I don't, I don't have a baby. <laughs> I just like the texture. But props to this guy for calling Amazon chicken shit, which is a great insult and something you can also buy on Amazon. They really do sell everything. Moving on. If you've been getting bored with coronavirus and you wished there was anything else going on to think about, well, be careful what you wish for. 
Killer hornets invading the U.S. and Canada. Asian giant hornets, also known as murder hornets, spotted in Washington state, and they prey on honeybees that pollinate much of our food. These hornets grow up to two inches long, roughly five times the size of a bee. And in Japan, where they originate, they reportedly kill up to 50 people each year. They're giant stingers capable of piercing a beekeeper's suit. The mandibles, there we go, you can sort of see them, are pretty large. Um, they're very, very sharp, I and mean, that's what they use to decapitate bees, and then they'll mash up the thorax into a, into a meatball, they call it, and fly it back to feed to their larvae. What the actual Murder hornets? Murder hornets? I want to go back to the days when the craziest animal thing was keyboard cat. How did they do that, by the way? Because it was playing, and it was actually pretty good. Because right now, 2020 Mother Nature is out of control. A killer virus is one thing, but murder hornets? Sounds like someone is just combining the scariest words. I mean, what's next? Nunchuck wolves? Okay, I was picturing more like wolves holding nunchucks, but I mean, I guess that would be weird too. Honestly, these murder hornets just sound like psychos. They cut off the heads of bees and then they mash up the thorax into a meatball and fly it back to feed their lava. I thought only Rudy Giuliani fed his family that way. Ugh. And if you ask me, these hornets are just being unnecessarily petty. This is going around decapitating bees. How about some unity, huh? Be best. <laughs> Get it? Be. It's day 49, guys. I'm, I'm struggling. And finally, over the past few weeks, rumors have been swirling over the health of Kim Jong-un. North Korean dictator and disgraced former member of the Teletubbies. Well now, after tons of speculation about whether he was dead or sick or in a medically induced food coma, the dear leader has re-emerged. For 20 days, the world wondered, where is Kim Jong-un? Now North Korea's state media airing footage appearing to show the country's mysterious leader visiting a newly completed fertilizer plant, joined by his trusted sister, Kim Yo-jung. President Trump appears to have confirmed uh, that Kim Jong-un is indeed alive and well. The president tweeting, I, for one, am glad to see he is back and well. Yeah, of course Trump is happy Kim Jong-un is back. Thank God I'm no longer definitely the worst person on earth. Now it's debatable again. By the way, if you ever have to use the phrase, I, for one, it means you're about to suggest some messed up shit. It's never something good. It's always something like, well, I, for one, think we should leave the dead prostitute in the trunk and go to the casino as we planned. But yeah, according to North Korean media, Kim Jong-un is alive and well and didn't have any type of surgery. And personally, I don't know why I wouldn't believe them. He looks like the same old Kim to me. Now, I know that some people are saying that North Korea could have aired old footage of him, but the truth is with North Korea, there's no way to tell that country's 30 years behind the rest of the world. Kim Jong-un could come out like, if I weren't alive right now, how could I be holding this brand new VHS of Terminator 2, huh? So it looks like that's the end of the Kim Jong-un death speculation for now. And I'll be honest, I almost feel bad for the guy. Imagine your health was so bad that every time you stayed in the house to chill, people were like, oh, he did. All right, that's it for the headlines. When we come back, we're gonna see how America's reopening is going and why the Grim Reaper went to the beach. Stick around. 
While nations like New Zealand and South Korea seem to have defeated the coronavirus, the situation in America isn't as clear. On the one hand, the number of infections in New York have been dropping steadily, which is great. But what's alarming is that the opposite has been happening in many states around the U.S. When you look across the country, it's really a mixed bag. Uh, certainly cases are falling in the tri-state region around New York City. Um, around the nation, hospitalizations and new cases continue to rise. So there's about 20 states where we see a rising number of new cases. Illinois, Texas, Maryland, Indiana, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee have a lot of new cases on a daily basis. And so while mitigation didn't fail, I think it's fair to say that it didn't work as well as we expected. Yeah. It turns out coronavirus is a lot like a Broadway musical. It starts out big in New York, and then months later, a much worse version pops up in Peoria. And like, I don't even understand how these Midwestern states are failing at social distancing. The whole state is already social distancing. Everything's spread out. You gotta get in a truck and drive 70 miles just to infect someone. I'm feeling a bit of a sneeze coming on, honey. We should head up to the Anderson's place. Make this thing count. But this just goes to show that fighting coronavirus in America was not a unified approach. And I mean, I get it. America's a big country and a country that likes to argue. It's hard to get everybody on the same page, you know? Forget coronavirus. Imagine if America tried to order a pizza together. Some people would want toppings. Some would want no toppings. Some people would say pizza is a hoax. And then Trump would jump in like, forget pizza, just inject yourself with murder. Now, you would think an increase in cases would mean that now's maybe not the perfect time to open everything up. But many states in America are saying, hey man, this summer's not gonna enjoy itself. With the start of a new month comes a wave of cautious reopenings nationwide. Some states now opening gyms, hair salons, or retail stores. Others offering malls, theaters, and golf courses. I'm at Miramar Beach Access 49 here in Walton County, and today is a pretty big day. The beaches are fully reopened for the first time in more than a month. And while some residents are happy, some are not. And one of those people is Walton County resident and Florida lawyer, Daniel Olfelder. Yeah, I'm here today to try to make a point that we need to, I think it's premature that we open our beaches. Wow. Walking around Florida as the Grim Reaper? That must have freaked people out. Because you know there had to be some 90-year-old grandma who saw him like, I'm ready, Grim Reaper, take me. All I have is my grandkids and I hate them. What? You can all see him too? Oh, that, that was just Nana's medication talking. <laughs> now look, I, I appreciate the effort this guy's making, but at the same time, I don't know if the Grim Reaper's gonna scare that many people. This is Florida. God sent alligators to make people stay out of the water and they responded by wrestling them. But it turns out, people on the beach might be the least of America's worries because there are other groups doing much crazier things. Tonight, across the country, outrage. Protesters demanding states reopen their economies in Maine, Oregon, and Kentucky. Impassioned protesters gathering tightly by the hundreds, frequently without masks. On Friday, in California's capital, 30 arrests as protesters face off with police. Protesters armed with assault rifles storming the capital in Michigan. God. Damn, only in America do protests start by storming the Capitol with assault rifles. I mean, did you try calling, writing a letter? Usually the armed rebellion is the last step. It's not which way to the suggestion box. And I feel bad for all these governors trying to enforce these shutdowns. 
You know, it's like herding cats, except more difficult because some of those cats have assault rifles. Now, I, I know a lot of people probably saw this video and said to themselves, man, if black people were holding guns and shouting at the police, that protest would end badly. But guys, please, please, that's not true. The protest wouldn't have ended badly. There wouldn't be a protest. All the black people would have been pulled over on the way there. Now, there's no denying that Trump has encouraged these protests. I mean, he's tweeted that these states need to be liberated. Uh, he said that the protesters were good people and that the governor was wrong and should negotiate. And even as America's coronavirus death toll has zoomed past Trump's predictions of what the total death toll would be, Trump hasn't changed his mind. In fact, the only thing he's done is move the goalposts. That's one of the reasons we're successful. That's one of the, re if you call losing 80 or 90,000 people successful, but it's one of the reasons that we're not at that high end of the plane as opposed to the low end of the that plane. That number has changed, Mr. President. You said it's 50, going up. 60, now it's 60, going up. 70, I used to say 65,000, and now I'm saying 80 or 90, and it goes up and it goes up rapidly. But it's still going to be, no matter how you look at it, at the very lower end of the plane if we did the shutdown. Ah, you see, guys? This is the art of the deal. You start by saying 60,000 Americans will die, coronavirus counters with everyone, and then Trump moves it up to 90,000. Who needs a vaccine when you have a deal maker this good in the White House, am I right? <laughs> I'm not right. Basically what happened in that clip is that Trump got his numbers super wrong. And instead of just admitting it, he picked a new set of numbers to try and seem right. And I hope that Trump doesn't play the lottery because that must suck for all the people who work at Powerball. I won, I won the lottery. Uh, no, sir, you actually picked the wrong numbers. Well, I wanna change them to the right numbers. You guys do this every time I try claim. You treat me worse than Abraham Lincoln. And this isn't even the first time Trump has shifted his predictions. In fact, the only thing we've been able to rely on Trump for is throwing out estimates that keep on changing. If we didn't do it, you would have had a million people, a million and a half people, maybe two million people dead. But we're going toward 50 or 60,000 people. It looks like we'll be at about a 60,000 mark. 60, maybe 65,000. 65,000 people. 70,000, 75, 80, 80 or 90,000 people. They had minimum numbers of 100,000. And I think we're going to beat that. If we could hold that down, as we're saying, to 100,000, so we have between 100 and 200,000, uh, we all together have done a very good job. And that is why Donald Trump will always be in the top five presidents of all time. Okay, maybe top 10. You know what? Possibly top 30. If he's in the top 45, then I would say he's done a very good job. Don't go away. Because after the break, Jabuki Young White investigates the challenges gay men have in donating blood, and I'll talk to Sweden's Dr. Fauci to find out why their country hasn't shut down. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. During this pandemic, there have been a lot of people who have gone above and beyond, donating their money, their time, and even their blood. But as our own Jabuki Young White reports, for some people, it's not that easy to be a hero. With a vaccine still about a year away, medical experts are looking at other ways to treat COVID-19 patients. And there's one thing right now that seems to be working. Convalescent plasma? Convalescent plasma. Convalescent plasma? Plasma? Actually, the plasma of recovered COVID patients, it's the one thing right now more valuable than toilet paper. If you've recovered from COVID-19, doctors want your blood. So I sat down with two people who might be able to help. Do you 
do you still have COVID or like, how does that work? <laughs> no, I'm good. I, I, I was cleared. I, I've been without symptoms for about 30 or 30 some days now. So I've been symptom free from coronavirus for about three weeks and I'm basically recovered. So can you explain to me what convalescent plasma treatment is? Yeah, that's where people donate plasma to get people better. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. That's the therapy that Madonna uses on her face where she takes the blood of her 20-year-old lovers to look younger. Okay. Uh, So it's not exactly that. But what happens is people who have coronavirus, their immune systems develop antibodies against the virus. And the treatment gives those antibodies to people who are dying from the disease so that the antibodies can fight the virus for them so they recover more quickly. Wow, that that's really dope that you donated plasma and took time to think about other people during a pandemic. That's pretty laudable. We didn't. Yes, it's not quite that easy. Whoa, why is that? Uh, I'm gay. I'm gay too, and the FDA says that we are not allowed to donate blood. So you can't donate blood because you're gay? Pretty much. Oh, shit. Here we go. Back in 1983, the FDA banned gay men from donating blood. This was during the AIDS crisis, which was another disease that the government didn't do shit about until it was far too late. In 2015, that ban was lifted. But if a gay man wanted to donate blood, he just couldn't have sex for 12 months. (laughs) That's some straight up Mike Pence shit right there. But now, in the middle of this pandemic, the FDA relaxed their bullshit policy to three months of abstinence. That's like an entire cuffing season. Like, where are you going to find a man who hasn't had sex in three months? So I'm actually eligible to donate for the first time since I was 18. Oh, boom! So after a few rounds of screenings, I was given an appointment to donate. So what are gay blood drives like now? Like, is everybody on Molly and listening to the new Dua Lipa album? Yeah, it wasn't quite like that. Um, After I arrived and was preparing to donate through the New York Blood Center, they asked me why I hadn't donated since I was 18, I volunteered I was gay. And that's when they told me they're not yet recognizing the new relaxed deferral. And so they weren't willing to accept my donation. Wow. They are making it really hard for you guys. You know, if you want them to take your blood, you can't just reveal that you're gay. You're going to have to pass as a straight guy. Uh, What do straight people look like? Okay. So first, Lucas, let's take a look at your outfit i'm gonna need you to stand up and twirl around not twirl spin spin around okay okay so got i've got this okay is this your straightest outfit right now your look should kind of say i'm looking for a girlfriend to shop for me because i can't shop for myself that should also do you have any clothes that your mom bought you no no i don't No. No. Plaid? Do you have any plaid? Any plaid? More plaid? No plaid? Yeah, but it's really cute. It's like, it fits like exactly. No, no. How about any bootcut jeans? Uh, No, I mean straight cut. Do you have any shoes that look like they're too casual for formal events and then too formal for casual events? And they're scuffed up and they look like they're the only shoes that you've owned for the past decade. Yeah, never mind, Lucas, never mind. You can just, you can have a seat. You can have a seat. Let me hear you say, just say bro. Like if I say, take my blood, brah. Brah. And there it is. Wow, I'm there. SoCal, skater, you know, 90. I'm there and I'm sold. I believe it. Yeah, the thing is we shouldn't have to pass as straight. 
right? What do you mean, Jack? So being gay or bisexual isn't a real risk factor for HIV. Say you have a straight man who's had sex with 100 women in the past month and never used a condom. That person can still donate blood. But if there is a gay man who's been having sex with his husband and wearing condoms consistently, that person can't. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we need science and not stigma to make decisions about donor eligibility. The FDA is sending this message again that if you're gay, the only way that you can be a good, clean, charitable person, the kind of person who donates blood, is if you don't have sex. So until the FDA comes around, we'll just have to keep our fine, fabulous blood all to ourselves. Thank you so much for that, Jabuki. And in some good news, one of the men Jabuki interviewed has since been able to donate his plasma to a private hospital. Hopefully the federal guidelines will change soon to make that more common. When we come back, my guest will be Dr. Anders Tegnell, Sweden's chief epidemiologist. So stick around, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I got the chance to speak to Dr. Anders Tegnell, the chief epidemiologist for the country of Sweden. And we talked about how they've taken a different approach in Sweden, right? They haven't imposed lockdowns and they haven't imposed any quarantines. But is it working? Well, there's only one man we could ask to find out. Dr. Tegnell, thank you so much for joining us on the Daily Social Distancing Show. You are chatting to us from a train station right now, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. A uh, train station in Stockholm, Sweden. Okay. Are you, do you, are you commuting? Are you, are you still out and about? Yes, I'm commuting from my home, which is in Linköping, a town some 200 kilometers to the south. Okay. Um, Sweden is an interesting outlier in the world where most countries in the world have decided to completely lock everything down, keep people indoors, and shut down the country, Sweden has gone for a different approach. Sweden has decided to keep the country fairly open, but require citizens to social distance themselves, to remain responsible, to limit gatherings to below 50 people. And, and I think, you know, like older people are meant to stay at home, etc. Tell me about what Sweden is doing, and then, and then would you mind explaining to me how Sweden came to that decision to do it differently to everyone else in the world? No, but you, I think you have made a fair description. Instead of closing it down completely, we have tried to look at different situations where we know that the spread is most dangerous, like in restaurants. And then we have regulated saying restaurants, you have to see to that you're not crowded. You can no longer serve in bars, so people sit very close together for a long time. You need to have a social distance between people, so one and a half, two meters between people sitting down, and all of those kind of things. We put a lot of responsibility on the restaurant owners. Uh, another one is that we have told everybody to stay home if they feel ill in the morning, even if only slightly ill, stay, stay home. And uh, because, and financially, that's been okay since uh, nowadays you get paid, even if you stay home when you're sick from the very first day which the government changed very quickly. So it's, there is a great incentive of staying home if you feel a slight bit ill. And we have done a lot of things to limit the social context among the elderly, uh, giving advice to them to stay home and stuff like that. So instead of saying close down the whole society, we have looked at society and, and closed down the aspects of society where we think and we know from other diseases and from what we've seen in other countries, most of the disease spread is done. And I think that has had a great effect in many ways. It has enabled our health system to keep on functioning. Uh, it has had other interesting effects, like over Easter, Swedish people travel a lot. Only 10% of the normal travels were done, which is a lot of change. Uh, our yearly epidemic of flu 
suddenly stopped when we instituted these measures in the middle of the of the normal way. Right. So in that right. in that way, it's uh, it's worked, and we have used sort of what we normally use in Sweden when it comes to public health, and that's really telling people to take responsibility and take. Uh, and sort of do the things they think will fit them the best in diminishing the threat to, to spread the disease to other people. And I think you, that's you, historically worked very well. Tell me about what's happening in Sweden. What have you seen from the numbers in and around the coronavirus? Uh, do, you, do you think Sweden has it under control? Do you think um, Sweden has seen the worst of it? I think in Sweden, like in many countries, it's different in different parts of Sweden, even if it's a small country. I mean, Stockholm and the surrounding areas, which is about half the population of Sweden, slightly less, uh, we have had quite a big number of people being ill in the last two months. Mm-hmm. While many other parts of Sweden, including the, the big cities on the west coast and in the south, have had not very many cases at all so far. But in Stockholm and the surrounding area, we have had a fair amount of cases. We think we are up to about a quarter of the population who has been infected so far. Um, that has been done in a fairly slow manner. So the number of cases have been fairly constant for at least one month by now, which means that the healthcare who has transitioned a lot, changed a lot. They do very different things today than what they used to do. But they have been kept on working and they have always been beds free. Everybody in Sweden who needs a hospital bed have gotten a hospital bed for COVID-19 or for other diseases. So it's mm-hmm. kept on working. And intensive care has even had at least 20% of the beds free at any given time. So in that respect, the strategy has been successful. We managed to keep the level of spread on a level below the threshold of the of the health system, which I think is one very important part in any kind of strategy. People look at the numbers of countries around Sweden and they go, their, their, their death rate is far lower in terms of coronavirus. Sweden's numbers are higher. But then if you look at other countries like Italy and Spain, etc., they have higher numbers than Sweden. So, so when you say Sweden is successful, how do you measure that success? Are you just looking at the numbers of death or are you looking at it, at it holistically? What does that mean, Sweden is successful? I think we're trying to look at it holistically. And I'm not saying we were successful in all different ways. I mean, our death toll is really something we worry a lot about. And it's very much related to our elderly people's homes uh, who have proven to be extremely susceptible to this disease. And we know that there's a number of things quality-wise that needs to be addressed in those. And we are addressing them with, with a lot of other agencies involved. And mm-hmm. we're seeing some improvements. But our death toll has very much to do with that. In other aspects, it's uh, many of the things have worked, I think, reasonably well. And, and I think the, the good thing is that we've been able to keep schools open. Uh, keeping schools open is very important for children and children's health. We know that for sure. Uh, we have been able to keep a lot of people working. Uh, and We know that losing your work is very dangerous to your health. So we've been trying to take a slightly more holistic approach to this than, than maybe some other countries have done. There have been reports coming out saying that there will be herd immunity achieved, I think, in Stockholm, at least over the coming weeks. What does herd immunity mean for you? And what are you hoping herd immunity will achieve for Sweden? I think complete herd immunity, we're not sure any country will ever achieve because that means that the disease goes away. And I don't really see this disease going away. But even some immunity in the population, like the 20, 25 percent that we are reaching now, will have a great effect on on the speed of spread. So with that and the measures we have in place and, and with immunity going up, 
I think there is a possibility that we can ease down on some of the restrictions uh, otherwise that we have so that we, by the immunity level of the population, can have a, such a slow spread of the disease that that the, the society can start work more or less normally again. Mm-hmm. I mean, some parts of it will always be at risk. I mean, people, elderly people will most likely be always be at risk for this kind of disease and so on. But many things we can then ease up a bit on. If, if somebody said to you, Dr. Tegnell, you know, your numbers, uh, we understand your, your methodology, we understand everything you're trying to do, but having tripled the death rates of countries like Norway and Denmark means that, you know, you've put some lives above other lives. Do you think that that's a decision epidemiologists slash governments need to make? Uh, is it an easy decision to make? I'm, I, you know, I, cause I don't think anybody has the right answer in this regard, but, I, but I'd like to know like how you got, how you and your team got to that place where you said, you know what, it's worth the risk. We, we want kids to be in schools. We want people to still be working. And we understand that that might lead us to have a higher death toll initially. No, I don't think, we never really calculated with higher death toll initially. I, I must say that's, that's not right. I mean, we oh. calculated the more people being sick, but the death toll really came as a surprise to us. We, we oh. really thought that our elderly homes would be much better at keeping the disease outside of them uh, than they actually being in, in here. Not that Sweden is the only country with this problem. I mean, many countries in Europe have the problem with elderly homes. Obviously, it's very difficult to keep the disease away from them. And even if we're doing our best, it's not obviously not enough. Uh, so um, we are not putting anybody's <laughs> life above everybody else's lives. That's that's not the way we are working. Uh, we are really trying to trying to keep public health as good as possible in this troublesome time. That's really interesting because that's, you know, that's not how it's being reported in many places. I'm, I'm glad you, no, I'm glad you said that. I, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear it from somebody in Sweden who's part of this directly. Because Sweden is doing something differently, because populations around the world are getting agitated, because people are growing in, in unrest, there's protests, people feel they want to go back outside, they want to work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People are now using Sweden as the example. If somebody said to you, Dr. Tegnell, people want to take Sweden's model and apply it to a country like America. Would you have an opinion on that? Not really. I mean, I'm sure there are some things from Sweden that can be transferred to other countries and some things are not. I think some things will become increasingly clear. We are feeling more and more confident about closing schools. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's really going to be very effective for this kind of disease. It doesn't seem to be very much of a motor, schools doesn't seem to be very much of a motor of this epidemic like it is in flu epidemics and so on. So some things, uh, definitely, building up the trust between the agency and the population uh, that we have in Sweden is something that takes a long time. Right. Uh, the trust level has always been high, now it's increasing, we're up to 70, 80% of the population thinks we're doing a, a great job, only like 5-10% doubt that what we're doing. And we're even finding that people have more, better and better adherence to our uh, our guidance. I mean, more and more people are uh, keeping social distance uh, and these kind of things, which is actually the opposite of what you see in other countries, where people are revolting against it. Here we see that people are more and more in line with what we want, want them to do. Right. Well, doctor, thank you very much for your time. Um, I hope you catch that train and good luck with the rest of your fights against the virus. Good luck to you. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com.
follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 